Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 117. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, cult comedy nights. James Ross is a comedian, writer, improviser, and founder of the cult comedy club Quantum Leopard. The club recently won a Chortle Award for Best Comedy Night in London, even though it does very little advertising beyond its own mailing list and only runs once a month. We talked about how his night operates in an underground and almost cult-like fashion, why he believes in running a gig in line with his morals is important to the circuit in London, how to build your own die-hard fan base from scratch if you're willing to put the work in, and so much more. I got loads out of this as someone who intermittently runs comedy nights and also runs a monthly one of my own. I really enjoyed sort of delving into his process and his brains, and obviously he has quite a unique uh, personal position that allows him to run the club in the way that he wants to run it, and we'll get into that, and I don't want to reveal too much at this stage, and I know that isn't going to resonate completely with everyone, but it is full of information that allows you to start your own comedy night, and I found it quite inspiring, and and it really sort of made me want to do more gigs and put on more shows, and so for me, it was very, very motivating, and I really hope you get a lot out of this as well. Um, Incidentally, um, I, I started this a little while ago in the Facebook group. Uh, it's called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook. Link in the show notes. Uh, I started this a little while ago, and people were submitting stuff, and they kind of stopped submitting stuff. Now, that either means some of you or most of you have stopped creating things, or it means you have stopped learning or knowing about this project. If you start something as a result of the podcast, it can be you've made a tour, you've uh, started a comedy night, you've crowdfunded uh, you know, anything that means you've learned something from the show and you've gone away and, and invested time and energy into a project that helps the circuit and helps make something happen and, and shows that you on your own have more power in this industry than you ever thought you did and you don't need industry necessarily, or at least you, you needed a bit of it, but you, you did a lot of it in your own. Um, let me know, like write it in the Facebook group, DM me on Facebook or Twitter, and let's start adding more and more of those inspiring and, and motivating stories to the group. I'd love to hear more of them, to be honest with you. So yeah, that's exciting. Let's get into the podcast. But before I do, if you're new here, please do remember to hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give it an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. And either way, please do join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast. And as I said, it's on Facebook. Obviously, uh, there's links in the show notes for all of that information and the places where I'm doing 32 previews up and down and around the country. If you can come to one of those, I'd massively appreciate it because uh, got to make some dollar. But for now, 
This is James Ross. Um, so I started Quantum Leopard because I wanted to run a lovely gig that was lovely for acts and lovely for punters. Well, it sounds reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just I felt that there were at the time I felt there were so many gigs that didn't didn't do anything for anybody and kind of people didn't really know what they were for. Mm. Either um, acts were there and it was either acts only, like those sort of terrible open mics where you know everyone's just kind of waiting for their turn to go on and competitively not laughing at each other because. To, laugh at somebody else would be a sign of weakness kind of thing so or they were circuit gigs where people were getting the shitty end of the stick and it was really really unpleasant and a horrible atmosphere and all of this sort of stuff so it was just to do something that provided a good experience for people because i just i felt like i'd seen enough gigs going up and down the country that i had some sense of what was what was nice what audiences wanted what acts wanted and it was like how many of these boxes can i tick for people you know how can i how can i remove the obstacles for people wanting to come and see a comedy show for punters and how can i remove the obstacles for this being a pleasant experience for acts like and that was that was the the basic impetus behind it okay well let's let's put a date on that so how long has it been running for oh so we will have been running for about Four years in this March, right? So uh, March twenty nineteen. So we were started about. I think, I think the first gig was actually in late February twenty fifteen. Okay, I think yeah, give or take. Okay, without sounding cynical, yeah, would it be because because you're a product of the gigs you do? When you say you, do you mean me specifically? As a performer, as one, a performer, one, one as a performer. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And so the gigs that you're doing, you're yeah. noticing patterns in certain yeah. elements of them. Could it be that at the time? There were nice gigs, but you weren't particularly getting booked on them enough, or you weren't booking them, or how? How? how what were you actually? Where were you gigging as well? Yeah, I'm yeah, asking sure. your name yeah, and shame. Um, I'm asking like, what's the what? You know what I mean? What what kind of vibe yeah, of the circuit yeah, yeah. were you on? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of there being nice gigs, I mean, if there were nice gigs that I didn't know about, then I didn't know about them, and people <laughs> didn't hunt me down. That's fine. Um, I've got a lot of questions from promoters. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, Why didn't you book me? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was. Um, I mean, so by that point, I think. I would have been going as a solo non-character stand-up for probably about three or four years, something like that, very roughly. So like first couple of years, it's just like open mic, open mic, open mic, let's like, you know, pile them high, sell them cheap, get as much stage time in as possible. And then after that, you do your best to kind of transition to middle tens, usually in out of town gigs, and then, um, you know, do your best to progress to, um, you know, paid openers if possible, that sort of thing. My favourite gigs to do were always the sort of um, kind of smaller indie ones. And um, I was never much of like a, I'm not like a club comic in terms of my style though you know i've really enjoyed doing things like you know hot water the stand blah 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 mm. but you know i was never doing those at a particularly advanced level or anything like that yeah but they're um, quite known for allowing creativity oh yeah completely. so they are clubs yeah. but they are allowing uh, people to do stuff that isn't just you know standing there talking about wanking yeah, exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and nothing like, wrong with that if oh, you do no, that <laughs> yeah. yeah um uh, and uh, they also i think they they definitely have comedy savvy audiences they've mm. got audiences that come in to see comedy and and that's what they want. It's not just like, oh, I want a non-specific night out. So they've got, yeah, I'm not in any way saying that there's like this sort of binary division between circuit gigs, which mm. are universally terrible on the one hand, and lovely, fluffy, independent gigs, which are universally wonderful on the other. Mm. And then maybe <laughs> if you've got, I know it's definitely the case. <laughs> and maybe on a third hand, you've got this undercurrent of open mic, which is its own sort of separate bucket. So that's that's not the sort of 
it's not that simple but i know the gigs that i generally prefer doing were ones which were okay i'm one person who's organizing a night and maybe i'm a comic myself and i just get in people that i think are good and it's 20 to 40 people in a room above a pub and that's really nice sort of mm. things and um, and then obviously edinburgh run-ups to edinburgh blah 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 the gigs that i most enjoyed doing were ones where i kind of i organized them myself like i did a front room tour of the country and i did probably about 30 40 gigs we'll on the back get of that. To that yeah 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 <laughs> those, those are so much fun because that's exactly what I want to do because it's loads of stage time for me which is brilliant I get to go to interesting new places and meet interesting new people it's a, a packed in you've got density of people they're definitely here to see what you're doing and you specifically and yeah it's just and you just get to do what you want to do and it, it really it, it's got an immediacy to it which you know a lot of club gigs even my lovely lovely club gig don't really have so it's just super amazing and um, as somebody who's you know really uh, enjoy sort of you know independent gigs of this that and the other stripe it was like okay we're bringing comedy to it sort of i mean it doesn't exactly have diy roots but i'm taking it in a diy direction so super super fun so those are the sorts of gigs that i was doing and i don't know i just i wanted to take the good elements of those and take away the bad elements of those and i just i, I sat through so many gigs where acts or MCs would just be like laying into the front row the front row will be having a terrible time I spoke to so many people just like socially like not comedians and they were when I said oh I do comedy so many people would have a horror story about like oh I went to this club or that club or mm. this other place oh I went to the comedy once and it was just really unpleasant they really picked on me or I saw this happen to another audience member I don't want that to happen to me so I don't I don't want to go back I hate comedy you know what I mean mm. that would be the attitude and I was just like it doesn't have to be like that like nobody goes out wanting i mean i say nobody yeah. very very few people go out on spend their hard-earned money yep. to a com to the comedy wanting to be bullied or see people being bullied i just i think that's kind of unpleasant and a kind of a betrayal of the trust that you're given as a performer and you, you've uh, never been to the gong show have you yeah. <laughs> i did it i did Specifically it once. What it's for. Uh, yeah exactly i mean yeah. it's fine I, I did the gong show once and mm. like unsurprisingly i wasn't very good and it you know um well no i would imagine you were good but it's not the format for you yeah well i mean you you're very kind to say that no Simon, no no because as, as someone who has uh, got past the gong twice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i i actively tell people look it's a great competition and it can yeah. lead to nice things but it format wise it is not for everyone yeah and the layout of the night as in the way they've structured you know how they put you on is so random yeah and, and because you don't really know the acts going on necessarily and what they're going to do and and how the audience are going to be by the time you get on because you might have you might the person before you might be on for 10 seconds or you know you don't know yeah it's it's not the be all and end all as competition even though it is a very valuable thing to be doing on the night and it's historically something that's worth doing if you want to try that yeah yeah but, absolutely but I, I just think it's worth mediating people's expectations on that because you can be no because I've seen yeah, amazing yeah, yeah, comedians yeah. die at that night yeah yeah completely. myself included <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, it's like, I mean you know I'm not saying that there is no place for gong shows in this world of course there is let's have loads of really interesting formats so there's something for everyone that's great mm. but what I want to provide is um, an environment where it's going to we're all going to have a nice time you know we're there we, we won't bully you for paying us money to make you laugh you know yeah. of all the crimes in this world that should be punished with the kind of uh eat i'm not gonna say evil that's definitely pushing it with the kind of treatment that some comics give a front row i've i can think of so many crimes that deserve that mm. it's like but giving me money is not one of them well let's i tell you let's let's start back from what you just said there you yeah, said yeah. You've, you've seen lots of good things you've seen lots of bad things yeah in your opinion let's talk about the good the bad and okay. 
the open no <laughs> let's just <laughs> talk about the open mic right, yeah like, that, uh, i would watch that western yeah that, that would, would be, be brilliant. oh that would be that's got that's going to be on dave before <laughs> um no but the, the let's talk about the good and the bad okay on nights that you saw and what and what's how how have you embraced those and rejected certain elements of it sure. to make a night work for you okay so i've kind of I don't, when I first started out, I kind of, I did a sort of 25 point plan of like, these are things that I like that I want to make happen. These are things that I don't like that I want to stop happening. And these are practical considerations that... So for the night, not for your gigging in general? This uh, is... Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. sorry, these I are... you meant for like your career as a... No, 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 no. So these are, these are things that I've seen work. These are things that I've seen not work. And cool. this is what I want to do. In really basic practical terms, most people want to go out on a Friday or a Saturday night if they're going out, out. Yeah, you only get people who are really, really, really committed in a fanboyish mm-hmm. way who want to go out Monday, Thursday, or maybe on a Sunday evening because yep. people want things to finish like vaguely on time because mm-hmm. if they've got, you know, work in the morning, blah, 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 it's a bit of a nuisance. So having things as well, start vaguely on time, finish vaguely on time, uh, not overrunning, sets generally not overrunning by more than the odd minute here or there, decent length intervals so people can get a drink, have a wee, all of this sort of stuff, having chairs that it's physically comfortable to sit in, adequate toilet facilities, granted we didn't have that when we first started with new venues but you know you add in this stuff more and more zone one people generally don't want to travel that far if you've got something that's in zone one in uh, central london then people can kind of travel into it and they don't need to travel in and then back out again if you're in zone two or three like if you're doing that then you've pretty much eliminated about two-thirds of like the um like the circumference of london if you see what i mean in terms of directions so those are kind of like some of the really really basic bits as well, like making things accessible, it's quite important to me. Like I did stuff with um, the the Free Fringe for many years, PBH Free Fringe, um, and I think it's a brilliant model that means that um, Edinburgh shows are accessible to uh, punters and accessible to performers, and it takes like several thousand pounds off your expenses, and that money goes straight into big venues' pockets. I think that's a deeply unnecessary and exploitative expense. Quantum Leopard is uh, has always been. Uh, and will always be, um, uh, hopefully, um, a uh, pay what you like uh, show um, because it means that people can genuinely pay what the show is worth. They can take a risk on something. And also, I don't think that in, you know, uh, a, a Britain that's run by the Tories that... Uh, not having loads of money should preclude you from having a really good night out at the comedy. I think that's a thing that it's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask of, you know, one of the greatest cultural cities on earth. It's like a good night out at the comedy where I'm not going to get picked on and I get to go to it even though I'm not able to slap down 15, 20, 25 quid, whatever. Yeah, we have some people who come in and they do give us that sort of money and that's super, super great. Love them to bits. Thank you very much. But if you come in and you don't have any money, then that is, that's survival. That's okay. It's from each according to their ability, you know, to each according to their need. And everybody needs great comedy. So they'll get great comedy, whether they, however much they pay for it. So that's kind of it from a sort of pragmatics point of view. Um, in terms of making things good for um, acts, you know, I've got, um, I, like, I try and pay people decently. It's always done by bucket split. And I've tried to gradually raise what I'm able to offer um, acts um, over the years because we started four years ago and gradually take like more and more kind of burdens off the uh, performers um, and like try and give them more in return so um, we uh, for instance we um, we started out as a bringer just for the first like I think about years worth of shows something like that 
I can't so remember. M- monthly, monthly bringing. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a monthly, cool. monthly bringer show. Yeah. Um, but so, like, just, we phased out as soon as we could. Just because just I know, like, huh? say, I think it's about 20, 25% of my audience is in London. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But then the rest of it is, glo- like, global and around the UK. Oh, sure. So yeah, I just, just, I'm just keep clarifying things for anyone who isn't listening. Cause that's it, fine. Because, yeah. yeah, this is about learning how yeah, yeah, pay yeah. what you want nights can work in yeah, cultural exactly. cities and things like that. So, so yeah, cool. yeah, I mean, in the context of London, um, like, a bringer gig is a gig where you have to bring somebody along to perform. Um, that was only for the short five minute spots um, mm. and then feature acts obviously who were doing 10 minute spots and longer mm. wouldn't have to do that but I phased that out as soon as I could basically that was a way of getting getting audience in building a mailing list and as soon as we'd done that reasonably like I phased that out because um, you know, it's just it's an unreasonable burden to impose on acts if you don't have to and mm. as soon as we didn't have to we didn't so was the main list predominantly plus ones of people or were they real people that had come along as well bit of both also like the thing about quantum leopard is that it comes on the back of me um so i ran some kind of new material bits and pieces like scratch nights just for myself so i could work out new material mm. um so i ran about half a dozen of those so people came along to those and like before that like years before like my kind of my starting point with comedy was like improv stuff which i started mm. doing at uni and i moved to london and did more improv stuff here set up my own group uh, won the only thing in our field which there was an award blah 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 three great Edinburgh runs all of this but having done that and run a successful night off the back of that using a slightly different model but fun fun thing like I had a significant resource of like significant numbers of people who would remember me Mm. running a successful gig that was fun to go to like a couple of years ago so it was a bit easier to get get stuff bump started Mm. so it was a mix of those sorts of people like friends friends of friends people who were people's bringers or whatever or and general punters um and it was a mix of all of those people and like don't get me wrong like we're now like packing like i think we had about 95 punters in the last show but like when we were starting out like the first few gigs we had like maybe 20 30 real audience in the room kind of thing for indie gigs in london just for context yeah that's often quite good yeah oh, like yeah, i'm i'm not yeah. I was very yeah. pleased that I was able yeah. to start out with those numbers. Yeah, yeah. But the thing, like, if you can start with that sort of momentum, mm. like, it's much easier to get somebody to come back to your gig than it is to get new people every single time. Yeah. So if you ensure that they have a decent time, you put on a lovely night, that they're well treated, mm. all of this sort of stuff, then they'll come back. And we have people that are still coming to the show who came to, like, the first, second ever gig, and that they're, yeah. they're still coming because we put on a really good night. So, so when you're advertising at the very start, yeah. is it come to the loveliest comedy like what what what, what made your advertising different that made people want to come to yours yeah. uh, i mean i assume it was a, still a saturday was it saturday oh yeah it's still a saturday so it's always, always a saturday, always a saturday. okay yeah, yeah. fine um, so that helps because yeah. people are out and they haven't got work the next day and that exactly sort of exactly yeah. so it was very much like um let's frame it as a lovely fluffy progressive gig um we um like there's various other things which i haven't mentioned because i was going <clears> to <throat> talk a little bit more about the other things that I was trying to do to make it decent for acts and also decent for punters, but that yeah. sort of shades into this a little bit. Okay. You know, a marketing USP or whatever. Like it was very much a let's have a lovely fluffy gig where you're not going to get picked on, where that's, you know, a core part of what we do, where there's no heckling. It's not like a bear pit kind of confrontational atmosphere. It's just let's have a lovely, fun, indie DIY type gig in like, I mean, our, our first two venues were both rehearsal rooms mm. so we got them dead cheap because no one wants to rehearse on a Saturday night and it's dead time dead space for the venue so they may as well let us use them for Tup and Tapney so that works out quite well but you know we didn't have a mic for many years like we've only just remember, got a mic yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've no, only just I, got a mic but, but, the, but the, I, and I don't want to interrupt you but the, yeah, yeah. the when I did it without the mic I 
I, I, I'm not going to say I love performing without a mic because yeah. like, I'm not saying that but the ethos of the night and the way it felt in the room and, and the fact that the audience kind of you know like you said a lot of them have returned so they kind of knew it anyway yeah yeah you, you just you didn't feel like it was weird nah at least I didn't I'm sure other performers no because other performers who like need the mic yeah exactly yeah 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 but, but often I do if I go to a venue and they're like we don't have a mic I'm sort of like oh, okay yeah. but with yours I just was like okay cool then I will just talk like talk, I normally talk do talk like louder yeah. yeah 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 I'll be a bit Jesusy and be like hello guys <laughs> but we're dick we, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's fine I mean yeah I mean it does it does mean you do have to project a bit more and like to be fair like that's something that comes to me I say naturally, but like I've been doing because I've been doing improv stuff for years. Like I've been used to playing completely unamplified to audiences of several hundred people, so that's like manageable. So yeah, that's kind of and again, it kind of that kind of fed into the sort of the DIY ethos and mm. feel of the thing. So that was kind of what we were, what we were doing. Yeah, I mean, like the other thing that I kind of I I always like another thing that I was kind of so for, for acts as well. Um, another thing that I was kind of sick of is like all male lineups because it's just it's boring. Um, and so like nowadays it's always 50-50 gender split at minimum it's 50-50 gender split before I, when I when I book the gig and finalise the lineup, then I end up with like dropouts last minute all of this sort of stuff blah blah but it starts out as being like 50-50 more or less mm. often 60-40 in one direction but if you take a couple of months worth of gigs it'll average out and it's like it's even um, when we were starting out I didn't really have enough contacts to do that and it was like okay I need to make sure that I have at least two women on the bill so we've not got one woman who's the lone woman and then I gradually built that up over time more women more women more women blah 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 all of this sort of stuff mm. in terms of other stuff that's kind of good for acts um like i'm really transparent about progression like if you if you are um an act who's on your way up and you're going out and you're doing slots like trial spots for people uh and you're going out and you're doing open unpaid tens in various places like you might have a chat with the promoter you might not you might get some feedback you might not with us 100% transparency like you come in you do a five minute spot you will at the end of the night now you will get a paid fiver you wouldn't once upon a time but like I started paying everybody as soon as I could afford to pay everybody <laughs> pay a fiver for your like bus fare pint whatever um, and uh, there's then an audience vote an audience vote on the act that they want to see come back and do uh, a, a paid 10 at a future one and that, future obviously, that obviously helps them want to come back as well because exactly. like, oh I might come see them exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. you get a preview and yeah. like for an audience like you've got then a sense of agency and like we've got loads of acts now that are that's my that is the main route into the gig now and I can now book like a really good bill solely from Quantum Leopard competition winners over the last four years including like major award nominees uh, national award winners all of this sort of stuff like that is a thing that I can do because I've been mm. running this well enough for long enough mm. and because like it's a nice enough gig that people want to come back to it mm. and people like good people who are like semi-pros at that sort of level will come in and do a five spot for me and like smash it out of the water and like my audience will love them and they'll go yes we like you come back for a 10 and that will mm. like start the that that's what genuine progression looks like when it's got a degree of transparency to it so well, that, there's that, that aspect and, and when you so i'm just sitting there yeah, working yeah. out numbers when you think about that because you you know four years approximately that means you've done less than 50 of these um, you know, sort of it's a bit more a like we, start, we, we move from monthly to once every three weeks I can't remember exactly when we did that yeah. we've, I think we've got now probably about just shy of 60 competition winners yeah um, Yeah. so even if you said you've done 60 of them in four years yeah it's not that long that it's been you know going for and that it's been building and so it's quite so I mean it's in a positive way it's yeah, quite yeah, impressive yeah. That, that, that you know when because I, I, I was talking to someone the other I'm not going to mention it but I was talking to someone at a gig the other day yeah. and they were like oh it just looks like so much work to get a gig going and I went it is but it's 
the getting through the first six, eight months of, yeah. do you know what I mean? Same with oh, podcasts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you're through the first two years or yeah. year and a half of it or whatever, you know, people just sort of know it's yeah. around. Yeah. You know, it's, exactly. it's, it's sort of that weird thing. Quantum Leopard is an overnight success that, um, like, that was a real struggle to get off the ground for the first year minimum. Mm. And again, it's a sort of overnight success. Like, I've been running comedy stuff in London on and off for 10 years. So even its initial bump start success, in inverted commas, like, that came on the back of a solid four, five years worth of, like, running stuff, mm. even if it was just, like, my own scratch nights, if it was booking my own touring, things mm. like that, all of this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's one of these things where it's, like, keep plugging away at it, mm. build it up gradually, um, and, like, make sure that you kind of keep the contacts that you've made, mm. and that's the way that you will run a better and better night over time. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I, I mean, this might be a redundant question, just uh-huh. because it feels like it will be the opposite of what you've said, but you, also what were the negatives you'd seen? around that you yeah, want yeah, to avoid. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me on to some of the other things that are like, again, good for acts, good for punters. I mean, I touched on this earlier, but like acts having a go at punters from the stage when they've done nothing to warrant that whatsoever. It's just like, it's just, it's not nice. Like, it's just, it's, it's rude. We raised in a barn. What's wrong with you? So, uh, you know, kind of like, we initially, we started off with like, okay, like no audience interaction um, unless you... Um, I forget exactly how we phased it, but it was basically like minimal audience interaction. Then we went to, okay, if you need a volunteer for this, then we'll get you one in advance. And like for the last year or so, we've been operating a system that's worked really well and acts seem to really like it and punters seem to really like it, which is basically like, um, if you're doing sort of general call and response with the audience, that's totally fine. But if you're doing sort of crowd work or you want something that needs a volunteer for whatever reason, then um, you can only do that with people who are sat in the front row who are wearing a green sticker. And the green sticker is really easy to see. And the green sticker being that they have actively consented to having a chat you know what I mean and, and I will have a chat with the front row at the beginning of the gig and some people will want a sticker and some people won't want a sticker and that's totally fine we like we've got a well up for it front row but some of them want to be well up for it by laughing nicely rather than being dragged up on stage mm. um, and even if you do drag somebody up on stage like just be nice to them don't do the sort of audience interaction audience volunteering in inverted commas which is i'm going to get you up on stage and get you to dance humiliatingly for three long minutes and that's the point of the joke i'm not going to do anything here it's just your discomfort that is that's that's the humor in inverted commas here and that's it you've seen barry's (laughs) honestly i've seen at least half a dozen people do that over the years really 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 and like genuinely we're looking at those sorts of numbers and it pecks my fucking head every time it happens because it's so lazy it's so lazy and it's just like it's getting an audience member to do your work for you and it's not even that you're getting them to be funny for you it's it's literally victimizing them to get some awkward nervous laughter out of the rest of the audience and like that's not like that is that is david koresh level of crowd work i don't want that like it's not good yeah the laughs coming more from the fact that relief i'm not doing it yeah exactly yeah yeah but, well the only the only two that come to mind and i'm asking you to name yeah. them but the only two that come to mind are obviously nina conti who brings people up and kind of gets them to do quite you know like with the with the sort but i mean it's it's ventriloquism stuff so yeah. it's kind of like getting them to say something that's a bit dodgy that they wouldn't necessarily say or yeah, dance yeah, yeah. yeah you know what i mean and and i feel like when you go and see her at her shows you kind of know that that might be a thing that you yeah. get asked to do and obviously maybe like a compilation show you're not aware of her work and then it's yeah. a bit harder for her to do yeah. but yeah. Anyway, and the other one's uh tape face obviously who brings people up and does sort of odd things to them and you know plays things around but i i've never i mean maybe it's just the gigs i'm doing or where it's just maybe it's changed from when you've seen those people. yeah yeah for, well, i thought you were hyperboling it for effect and for me 
the idea of someone using an audience member for the, them being the punchline and they haven't done anything wrong. You know, yeah. they haven't like heckled you or they haven't literally said, I could do that. You know, like that yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that just seems... I've just, I, I, or I, I don't want to name names. No, of course. Cause I'm I, I like some of the people personally. I'm just like, that's not how I want to see comedy. Even if you didn't, like, I would mute it out on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's not, this isn't a gossip thing. And that's why I'm happy to name those two because it's a positive yeah, yeah, yeah. version of I mean, that. The thing is, the thing is to mention as well is that both of those two people, mm. uh, like Nina Conti and Techface, mm. are both like staggeringly fucking good at what yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. They're the absolute top of their game. Yeah, yeah. And they are absolute masters of their craft. Mm. A lot of the people that are doing it on the way up, like, here's a cheap, lazy laugh. In the same way that, like, lazy shock humour, that will get you a laugh. That'll mm. get you a laugh once. You yeah. know what I mean? But, like, diminishing returns to scale, all of this. Yeah, yeah, of like, it's it's something that you do because you get, you're aware that it gets a reaction. But if you keep doing it, it gets, like, more and more alienating and unpleasant yeah, over time. And it's yeah. just, it's something that you need to be careful with. Like, I mean, in terms of, like, topics that you can cover as a stand-up, I think you can cover anything. But, you like, you've got to cover it cleverly and well you've got to be like there's some topics where it's like okay if you're covering this then you need to be staggeringly careful about this you know what i mean it's like handling like um uranium rods you know what i mean there's there's nothing inherently wrong about uranium rods uh, <laughs> yeah, i mean it, it entirely depends it entirely yeah. depends on what you're using them for you know what yeah. i mean like it's like this this is dangerous when handled improperly yes yeah, sure. so you've got to do you've got to oh, like the basic level of respect to your material to your audience to the wider world that you exist mm. in as you know a citizen and human being mm. to like treat that stuff with respect and i think that's really important and that that kind of leads me a little bit on to like the content policy yeah the content which policy is, is next to me i mean this about. is obviously the, the big thing that's going to like trigger the right-wing snowflakes because you know they're enormously fragile and the very uh, idea are they that, allowed to be caught? see this is the thing always labeled like i i think i thought we're so i'm a lefty so i was like yeah, yeah. I, I thought we are we're snowflakes and they're what grammar Nazi? Well, well they, they 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 have a whole different fucking fascists is what they are. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, but like I, well, I don't like any of the name calling evil side. Well, Do you know, I mean, what I mean? It, it just doesn't. I, I think it breaks down. The, I mean, we're not going. Okay, stay, I mean, I mentioned it, I mention it but, only just because like the whole snowflake thing is just ridiculous when you see that like oh we're complaining about fragility blah 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 like these are people who are triggered by I, the existence of a vegan sausage roll you, or a Gillette advert that suggests that maybe bullying people maybe isn't that great you, and they just go off on one I, I had a, ridiculous I had a, girl, a friend of mine who's very left as well the other day because she was saying that uh, men you know men are getting uptight about you know the shaving ad and all this sort of stuff and 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 I I said to her there are some men who are having a debate about this and this is just to do with what we're talking about tricking yeah, yeah. and stuff I think I think you can't possibly know everyone's back history with certain topics yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And so I even if it is small to you, if it's true to someone else, you're going to have to respect that, even if it isn't something that you can empathise with and you don't understand. Yeah. So if it is, so if the advert is triggering you, I'll listen to your point. But if your point's stupid, I'm going to... Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. If your point is something like, you know, oh, I, I don't like the way that you're... Uh, you know, there were a few men who were like... We're talking about an advert now, but we... Yeah. You know, they, they, they were talking about, you know, how, how it uh, was cynical of, a, of an ad. And I even posted oh, yeah, yeah. And I And I agree with that point. I'm like, yes, yeah, totally cynical of them after they've, you know, had women with the Gillette yeah. thing on, like, yeah. hot pants and things to then come out with this. Yeah, but now, at this time, why now? The why answer to that time? is to abolish capitalism. That's the answer. 
wants to sign. But then what have you None got? Of this. Then what have you got? Like, <laughs> no, right, in the current situation, but, 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 what, what do you change that with? What do you talk, replace it, it with? I, in all seriousness, though, like, I mean, obviously, there's this enormous hypocrisy about these adverts. Be, uh, yeah. And it's be, it, this is clearly being done for profit as a way yeah, of, of co-opting social movements, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But I think one of the interesting things about it is that somebody at Procter & Gamble has looked at a spreadsheet and yeah. gone like, okay, okay, we could appeal to dickheads here, mm. or we can appeal to people who think that bullying is bad. Mm. And, okay, it makes more business sense for us to try and appeal to people who think that bullying is bad. And I think that's a really good sign. Yeah. So the, one, one of the things that capitalism does reasonably well is allocate uh, resources yeah. um, in ways that are, like, are optimally, in inverted commas, like satisfying market desires. Like, yeah. That, consumer design completely like, yeah okay. so, so what i'm gonna right. do though is we can talk about this That's like because this is because this the, yeah let's talk about your content policy right. okay content you, policy. You, you can reel it off because i'll forget it sure. what is the content policy so the content policy basically is like no racism sexism homophobia no transphobia no like chav bashing like um uh, you know classist bullshit uh, no ableism and whorephobia I think are also on the list okay. um, no rape as a punchline um, and no picking on the audience which okay. is like I've done that in one long sentence you know what I mean like I could yep. do that in a single breath and that's so, why I'm getting you to do it not me yeah yeah it's fine well know. I've got greater lung capacity than you Simon honestly if you, <laughs> if you can't get through that in a single breath no, no. then like you're really serious the, like get the, your lungs seen my, my worry was forgetting some of it and then you calling me out and oh, going oh you're poly- you forgot the main bit I yeah, don't yeah, like yeah. racism I do, and, well, these, and then like someone going oh Simon said racism was fine yeah. you forgot it on the list it's fine I mean like it's one of these things like, it's just like I mean it's basically like don't be a bellend but like I, I can't put it as don't be a bellend because <laughs> people 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 always ask me about that and it it does need unpacking but like, it, well, the, the other problem you've got is, is that people uh interpret their jokes you know what i mean like they they, yeah. could, they could say i don't think this is racist yeah, exactly or i don't think this is so in the nicest way possible you are sort of putting yourself in a moral arbiter position where you go yeah well, i thought yeah that was a f- and yeah no, no but and playing uh-huh, i said uh-huh. i'd do this and i'm sorry but play but play i'm not gonna say it go on say devil's no, no, advocate no, no, do you know why? use the word devil's advocate do you know, do you know why I don't want to do You it? know my views. Not, because you know my views on that phrase have and I practice. Told you, have I told you? Yeah, because I don't think he needs my help. I don't that's, think the devil that's needs my That's my fucking phrase, you that's prick. What I, no, I've said... I've, I've said I, it I, I, don't think we've, I don't think we've had my, this discussion. My, my phrase has I been, was, the devil has quite enough advocates in the world already. Oh, that's I know. I just, I just literally say he's, he doesn't need my help. He yeah. seems to be getting on fine. Yep. So I so we've got a slightly different, but the same... All right, fine. All right, okay. All right, same page. No, I but I always stop myself because I feel... I don't mind... This is hypocritical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mind any other group like so women or, or people of color or any of that's saying it but i just feel like as a white man you saying it means you're going i'm not going to stand behind my shitty view i'm not going to stand behind my crappy yeah. opinion or question i'm yeah. going to say the devil and it's my thing so i'm not going to say it even yeah, yeah, though, yeah even though you dared me that's um, fine but what i will say is by putting yourself in that position as a white man and as yeah, a, yeah yeah a, 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 a sort of a, a Privileged I, man. I'm spectacularly white, uh, yeah. so that's, that's yeah. not in dispute so, here. So my qu- my question would be: How do you balance your way of interpreting a joke for yeah. your night versus how, say, for example, someone came and did a joke that you thought was is an ism for whatever yeah, you know yeah, how yeah. you, did, but it got a good reaction and nobody complained. You didn't get a single complaint. If it gets a good reaction and uh, there's not a single complaint, and I promise you, my punters, particularly my regulars, are not okay. shy of yep, complaining yep, yep. If, if they feel that something's a bit too, uh, if they're not happy with something, um, then I, like, I let it slide. You know what I mean? Like, this thing, like, I do my best, um, and it, it's one of those things, like, I'm never going to get it perfect because, right. like, it's a human process. Yeah. But 
just because you can't have a perfectly sterile environment doesn't mean that you should conduct surgery in a sewer. Like, give it a go. Do your best. Mm. Like, the low-hanging fruit is really obvious. Then you can go for stuff on slightly higher branches. Just try. That's well, all I'm asking. And you, that's you, all I do. Do you tell comedians and do you go, we've had these complaints? Um, it varies. Part of it is, like, I just don't have that problem, really, because the kind of acts who want to do the gig are generally not people who would really fall afoul of that anyway. Like, I'm not saying that, like, absolutely every act has to be, like, ultra PC, super right on. Mm. It, that That's not what the gig is about. It's just about, like, here's, like, things that are just obviously stupid. Like, here's the obviously low-hanging fruit um, of... I never want to use the word... like. I like, I like the phrase political correctness because it, it acknowledges that A, this is a political question and B, that it is correct. Those are the two things I like about that phrase. What I dislike about it is that it distracts us from the what, what it really means, which is like basic fucking manners and respect. Mm. Um, and if you, if you insert the phrase basic fucking manners and respect into conversation where the words political correctness are previously, then you find a lot more sentences make a lot more sense. So that's what I'm trying to enforce. And that's what I want in my gig. I want my acts to, you know, have that basic degree of uh, respect for my punters, for the subject matter that they're dealing with, for like the issues that they're discussing, for the groups and the people, because those are real things to real people. And a lot of those real people are in my audience and they've been put off going to a lot of other clubs because like they see that being discussed in a really ham-fisted and stupid way. And I don't want that. My punters don't want that. Part of our USP as the night is you're not going to have that problem here. And if you do, it'll be very brief and off it goes. So um, like I say, like some of the sifting is like self-selecting. People who want to do my gig in the first place, anybody who's going to be put off by that doesn't express interest in doing the gig. Mm. Um, I uh, When I'm doing the five minutes, um, I, I sift those. They all apply um, by email. Uh, they send me a video clip. I ask for written agreement to the ethos just to confirm that they've read it. Um, and uh, if they don't confirm that they're fine with that, then I don't book them. Mm. Um, or at minimum, if I really like the video, I'll go like, uh, I love the video. Can you confirm that you agree with the ethos? Um, and if they do, then great. And I'll get them in. But just to confirm, like, you are aware of what's going on here. You can't plead ignorance. Um, and so that's like, that's one stage of sifting. Um, like, I reject sort of four or five applications for every one I accept because um, the gig's in really, really high demand. Um, and so I do get to be a bit picky. So if I think somebody is a bit too close to the knuckle in an annoying way that I don't think is productive or interesting, then I'm like, I'm just not going to book you in the first place. Mm. So that's part of it. Um, in terms of feature acts, like, I've, I can count on one hand the number of times I've had a problem. Um, and like, I've, I've generally I've had a chat with the acts about it either immediately or some stage later on when they've made inquiries about coming back and we've usually had a pretty productive conversation about it because like professional comedians who know what they're doing respect their craft and have enough confidence in themselves take that sort of constructive feedback on board if you're called out on something um and I deliberately use the phrase called out because I know that's going to you know um trigger the fashtards I knew you did yeah <laughs> um you've got two options there and like this has happened to me enough um and like i'm no angel on this like i've made the wrong call and had the wrong reaction on a number of occasions like i'm hold my hands up to that you've got two choices either you think about your material 
um, and think about the ways in which it's affecting the person that has raised this issue with you. And you go back to your joke and you think about it and you think, how can I approach this better? How can I improve this joke? How can I add context to it that means that it's better situated in the world which it lives in? Like, how can I do that? And on no occasion have I ever not gone back to a joke of my own um, and done that and made it worse. Every single time I've had to do that, I've gone back, I've thought about it more and I've made it better. And I thank the people that I've responded to, people who've made those uh, inquiries with me, like, good, good, you're helping me improve as a performer. On a handful of occasions, I've got it wrong, I've made the wrong call and like, I've not responded as well as I might because like, I'm, you know, I'm lovely, I'm fluffy, I'm a leftist, blah, 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 but I'm also a comedian, therefore like largely driven by ego and caffeine. So anyway, but your other option is to do like, basically go the Louis C.K. route and like double down on it. I've been called on this bullshit and so I'm just going to double down on it. Like I, uh, I've been called on this thing. Um, either I can admit I'm wrong uh, and change or I can go down the route of saying that this thing was right. And I will, I will reinforce that. And that, that's what, that is the route I will now take. And I think that is a bad decision. I think it's a bad decision morally. I think it's a bad decision in terms of like your direction as a performer. I just, I think it's the wrong choice and it's not the choice that I want to encourage. But good, solid professional performers, people that I like, the kind of people who do my gig, the kind of people who are confident enough they're willing to take that sort of feedback on board. Like they respond well to it. They respond constructively to it. And I book them again. Like, that's that's how that works. I see. I completely agree with you, by the way. Yeah. But yeah. the thing you brought up with the CK thing is. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how much you want to discuss this with, like, what, like on on tape, if you like. But yeah. my my frustration with all of this, as in what's happening at the moment in that area. Yeah. Not just with him, just in general, is I've only seen. I can only think of one. I think comedian who has a handled an apology like well. Uh-huh. And I can't even remember who it was. It was a writer on a TV show who apologised on his podcast yeah. to a to a, a woman from this staff. I cannot remember names, and I'm not trying not to name them. I just can't remember yeah, them yeah, right yeah. now. I can Google it and I'll put it in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. I'll, I'll highlight it. Um, so, but I I don't. But I I the, there's a part of me that I, the doubling down thing I don't understand. Yeah. Because because for me, whenever I've had a discussion, so. You, you've seen my Pancakes for Equality joke, for example, the, the one I did at your November night. And I even said to you before I went up, is this going to be okay? Because I panicked for a minute and I hadn't done it for a while. And I was worried I would get words wrong because yeah. wording in that joke is really important. Yeah, yeah. And and you said, no, you'll be fine. You'll be absolutely fine. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, if someone had a problem, because I've had one person have a problem with that joke. And it, and it, and it didn't change any of the joke because it's, essentially when I spoke to them, they had been a bit drunk and hadn't listened to the opening bit of the joke. Yeah. And if you miss the bit where I make it clear where I stand on it before I yeah, rip it apart, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it ends badly. Context is important. Yeah. And, and But the thing is, is that in that situation, I, I, being a very insecure person, really wanted to make sure they knew and they knew that I wasn't an arsehole. Yeah. But there's no way of doing that because I can't wait until the you next can't. day to text her and go, I was, I was trying to be like, you know, because they're drunk. They're, they're just, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. going to wait for them to sober up and yeah. get home from Brighton, you know? Yeah. So, so um, there's, there's, there's this whole thing about that person will have that story from me. Yeah. And there's no way of me redeeming myself. Yeah. Even though I've done that joke around the country and yeah, nobody yeah. else has had a problem with it. And it's not, I'm not blaming them for that. Yeah. But it is more on them that they didn't hear that part. And so there's this whole, you know, would you ever reconsider an act 
who you'd seen do something, you've had a, not a bad altercation necessarily, but like they haven't changed the material, but they've gone, I'll just come and do a different joke then. Would that, what would that lend for you? And, I'm, and uh, it might a, be a hypothetical at this point, but I'm wondering yeah, it's an entirely hypothetical where, you, one. where you land on yeah. redemption for acts who maybe have said something that you, you know, breaks your policy. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I would do with acts that are like that, but who I like, um, you know, there's not a complete overlap with acts that adhere to the content policy and comedy that I enjoy. Like that Venn diagram is not a circle. No. Um, like I watch them again. Um, I would try and watch them in another context. And uh, if I liked them, I'd get them back in. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Just going back to that point you were making there about this um, audience member who kind of went off and has this story. Mm. At the end of the day, like, I think... So I had this realisation a while ago. This is in the context of, like, personal relationships. Um, and this is in... Uh, with regard to, like, one specific former partner of mine. Um, and I kind of came to this realisation. This is somebody who um, I had a relationship with of um, non-negligible length. Um, and we parted ways and uh, there was a bit of kind of back and forth as to like, you know, is this a good ending for a relationship? Is it a bad ending for a relationship? And then it kind of pieced out a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I kind of came to the realisation that um, wanting to maintain a friendship with former partners, that's a thing that I needed for my self-image as like a like a nice guy again to use a phrase that's got connotations that i don't necessarily want but like somebody who is basically decent but i don't have the right to expect that from somebody else and i don't have the right to push that on somebody if that's not what they want ultimately like they've had they've had exactly 50 percent of that two-person relationship and what they want to do with it in terms of their memories how they want to think about it is entirely up to them yeah provided they're not literally libeling me mm. I, I like i have no claim on them i have no mm. claim on what they're doing how they think about it how they feel about it whatsoever so doing the whole like you know um let's all meet up in the year 2000 thing like that's that's selfish and in the same way that like needing to scramble back for the good opinion of people that have seen you on stage mm. and maybe not quite liked you as much or thought of you in the way that you want them to mm. um scrambling for their opinion is is selfish you they don't owe you anything they don't owe you that time no. it's up to them to like feel how they feel about that yeah. um and it's up to you as like a nominally confident person who exists in the world just bear that with fortitude and just go on with your fucking life and that's that's what i've done in the context of that relationship that's what i've done with every like bad gig blah 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 where yeah. i've had that sort of similar kind of yeah. experience to you there yeah. um not that i you know have that experience often but like mm. incomparable situations yeah you've got to draw a line under it at of a certain course. point for your own sanity yeah. and learn what you can from the experience mm. try and become a better person try and become a better performer and go forward with that well my so okay that that altercation happened in 2015 yeah and i remember when i finished i did i did the dvd record of that show yeah and i remember saying to myself every preview every edinburgh show every all of that like that's the line you know what i mean i won't yeah. and, and but but it's hard as a as a human not to you know reminisce and think about stuff like that sometimes yeah and yeah. it's not and it doesn't bug me it doesn't have a problem but i was bringing it up because, you say it doesn't bug you but you are bringing up an anecdote from 2015 but can i tell you why though okay because there's a specific reason all right because i feel like whether you <gasps> was that person me was it me was i wasting your show in 2015 you were yeah yeah do you not remember? Ooh, I don't no, remember no, no. at all. I, I brought this up. Okay. Uh, well, you don't remember much of 2015, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> if you um, can remember 2015, uh, then you weren't there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, my, my, my reason for bringing it up, right. which, by the way, I've ham-handedly brought it up from, yeah, yeah, from yeah. my notes, but the, the, thing, the reason I was bringing it up is 
whether you're doing it consciously or not, and that was part of the question, if you yeah. are doing this consciously or not, yeah. is I, w- I was outside, it was November the last time I did your one, mm-hmm. uh, and I was waiting outside with another act, just chatting away for, you know, you're doing your bucket speech or whatever it was at the yeah, end. Yeah. And as people were leaving, I asked the act if we could talk in a sec, because what I wanted to do was just listen to people leaving, yeah. because I wanted to hear what they were talking about. And, you know, may- maybe shamelessly, maybe hearing them say, I was very good. Oh, but that wonderful Simon Kane. He's very talented, uh, not so conventionally uh, attractive. Uh, 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 I'd like to hear have his furry face pressed up against my inner thighs. Oh, let's, be, let's, be, let's start with, it's definitely conventionally attractive. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not lie to me. But funny, yes, hilarious, definitely. You are, um, go on. Uh, I did love how you liked that post on my face. Oh, sorry, I had a conversation with someone the other day where they said... Um, oh, you're not going to put me in your comedy, are you? And I was like, look, you're be, be more fucking funny yeah, and, exactly. I'll, and I'll think about it. I'm not a miracle <laughs> worker. You but. do yourself a disservice, Simon. I think that you could very definitely be considered conventionally attractive. It just depends on the convention. convention yeah, if, it, if it's for like, <laughs> I'm looking at your appearance now, and this is obviously a visual joke on a podcast. If it's a convention for lumber Jews, then fucking bang on. <laughs> That's got to be a title for a show at some point. For Simon Cain, lumber, lumber Jew. Jews. I'm not, I'm not a lumberjack or a Jew. So it's definitely going to be fun. No. Oh, fair enough. No, I like no, point no. that I am a bit, which means I can say that i genuinely thought you were jewish no. uh, oh so i thought you were, thought I was a lumberjack so I was, no <laughs> god no no not with your upper arms my <laughs> my my parents are jewish but ah, I, right, I don't okay. believe in god so i they go. i suppose culturally at best yeah yeah but i it, i i find it annoying when people do that because it's a bit like denying my my choice of what i believe in with you now okay and, and, so, and so i don't mind when people go oh you're culturally jewish too much yeah, but when yeah, they do yeah. it too much i sort of go oh okay fine well i'm just going to ask you where you know your ancestors yeah, are from yeah, and yeah, i'll yeah. just start saying you're culturally wherever that is it's one of those things where like, I mean? like, if it keeps getting mentioned too often you're like what's going on with this like yeah. i remember having one very weird date where um like my she was really really weirdly fixated on the fact that i was a quarter jewish and just kept bringing it up yeah. like you don't need to mention it this much like what she probably had a fetish or something Maybe, yeah. maybe. Because I've only just found out that because I've got friends of mine who are Jewish, yeah. And the, I feel like I'm saying that like I've got friends though. Uh, <laughs> no, but I've got friends who are Jewish, and like one of my friends told me recently that uh, he was going out with this girl, and yeah. she made it quite clear that he, her big fetish is Jewish people. I, and I and I've never heard of that kink before. Takes and I've lives. heard a lot of kinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, genuinely, like I, there's uh, I few people who've uh, you know I, I, on across whose radar I have come which is uh, <laughs> I was wondering that. how you were going to end that and I thought you were just going to say jizz but fair enough you've got I, more class than me I kept it I kept it PG um, as plausible deniability when it came to that anyway no, no. I'll, but I'll yeah edit, but like it's, it. a, I, I, it's the thing like you know you've got I, I have a certain look I have like you know uh, brown curly quarter hair Jew, and a, quarter Jew I'd say yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Brown curly hair, fleshy snow plough of a nose. Like, I get both of those, <laughs> both of those features from that yeah. part of my family. Yeah, I mean, I, I look I, like that. I just, yeah, I, I, just, I just think it's fine for you to that acknowledge I have a cultural history. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fine. But it's just when people bang on about it. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. it's like, you know what? If we're all trying to live in a I mean, we're not up to a certain point. I mean, I wish we were. But I would like to think we're living in a place where, you know, if you tell me that you've got a, pl- a, a pronoun, I should be able to say, I don't believe in a god. Stop telling me I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, I, th- I suppose part of it is like you know the age-old thing of like, okay, is um, is Jewishness like okay, is this an ethnic designation yeah. or is this a religious one? And mm. I know loads of secular Jews who would say one thing, and loads of religious Jews who would say another, and yeah, it depends. It depends. Anyway, yeah, but anyway, but, anyway. but my point was, yeah. I was listening to people leave, and the 
I'm going to call them the story because I was only overhearing bits of it. Uh -huh. But the story people take away from your night is fundamentally what you're saying now. Mm -hmm. You know, lovely night, great acts. Oh, that was funny. Great time. D don't get that in X Club was what one person said. You know, it's like, you know, in a good so way. In a yeah, good yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, not just like, oh, I'm talking about bollocks. That I, you know what I mean? It, but but, but my, my point was, because I've been to your night as a, yeah. as a, as a person to watch and as, a, and as an act. And so I'm aware of what it's like. But for someone who hasn't been, and for someone maybe wanting to start their own night, their yeah. lovely night in another city, maybe yeah, where yeah, they're not yeah. going to compete with you. Like, I, I'm what? fine. I, I want more people to copy bits of Quantum Leopard. Yeah. And like, I've not got a trademark on anything Quantum Leopard's like, well, the elements of the, <laughs> obviously the logo and the name, blah, blah, blah. But like, 100%. Please tell I'm, me you have copyright Quantum Leopard. Second? Uh, have you got the name Quantum Leopard copyrighted? Uh, I That'd think I might have, like, have it licensed under Creative Commons or something That's but amazing. like blah 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 like basically if, if, if somebody has listened to this and they want some advice on like how to set up a lovely fluffy night in wherever it is they are like get in touch like I want comedy to be better because mm. I want to be able to go to more comedy nights I want there to be more comedy fans out there who are whose expectation is I'm going to a lovely fluffy comedy night where I'm not going to get picked on I'm going to mm. have a nice time I want more of that like Look me up. Look I'll me put, up on I'll Facebook. Put, I put I'll, my uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put, put your my, Facebook and your yeah, email yeah. and stuff. Yeah, fine. Put my yeah, put my email up on it. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, go for it. All right, cool. So, subject line: uh, Simon's amazing podcast interview. Uh, subject, subject line: Simon Kane Lumberjew. That has Lumberjew. Been, That's we'll go with that. And yeah. I'll put a special filter so it'll go straight yeah. to like, my advice pile. That'll be fine. We'll do that. <laughs> but if you don't use the hashtag Lumberjew. <laughs> He's going to ignore it. it. Work. But yeah, uh, like, in all seriousness, like I would, I would love people to like take elements from my night and use them in in their own. Mm. Um, I get so many. Uh, I get like people saying, "I really like this thing. Can I use it?" I'm like, "100 percent, yes." Yeah, yeah. I want you to do that. I want to lead well, this by example. Well, I mean, let's. I tell you, I'm going to talk about some of the things from your night. Sure. Yeah. That I think are making people leave with that story. Ah, uh -huh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So you've got badges. Oh yeah, badges. Yeah, start badges. Because yeah. I because I I run a night and we are we are we are starting to implement badges. Badges. There we and go. It's, and it's slightly different as system for yours because <laughs> we have the rainbow sort of thing about LGBT. So we're going to try and yeah, do yeah. like a different colour for each. Oh cool. You know, so like uh, the more you come, the more rainbow badge you get. Ooh, so it's going to be a multi-level marketing. I know. No, because we have other ones that are a bit more. Uh, kinky, should we say, right, badges okay. for the people who maybe want a bit of a risque badge that yeah, they yeah, yeah. can't wear at work. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, yeah gone. So, so there's no backing, you just stick the pin straight into yeah, your yeah, chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, cool. um, so, what's your, what's your badge system? Cool. And so, why does it exist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was basically me thinking about, like, okay, how can I make the comedy night more of an experience? How can I make this more of a community thing? How can I make people want to come back more? Mm. A part of that is like, you know, you'll come for the sunshine, you'll stay for the people. Mm. And so, it's like, okay, what can I, can I find a way of giving people like more of an incentive to think of themselves as an in-group um as like people who are regulars and this is a thing that we do and also a little bit like a thing that we are like that makes me sound like the borg but like that's kind of you know yeah. i mean it's, it, look the borg have a significant degree of collective solidarity you know the kind of planned economy i'd, I'd really like yeah. uh, so i'm broadly in favor i think the borg get a bad rep in star trek we'll move on so uh <laughs> remember we are limited for time the cleaner wants so, to help. that's fine so the badges are um basically if you come to 10 quantum leopards or you bring six people along to uh a single quantum leopard then um, you get a quantum leopard badge and the first one of these limited edition there's only 100 ever made uh we're now on to the second 
second edition badges that have got a new logo and if you get that then um, it means that you get a priority booking for the mailing list so you get the email for tickets about three hours earlier than uh, the rest of the mailing list in general which means if you want a ticket and you know when to wait and you always do then you will get a ticket it means that we've got a little whatsapp group as well so you can have a chat with us about general comedy bits and pieces you get to choose a song for the quantum leopard playlist occasionally i ask people's opinion uh, when i want to talk about people who are like a bit invested in the gig and then i will ask that group that sort of thing so it's just generally sort of a like it's a bit of a thank you uh for people coming to the gig and like the like i spent a non-negligible amount of money on the badges like it's a you know it's a, it's a fairly swish thing like you know for they're enamel they're enamel they're, they're not, yeah they're yeah, enamel yeah. stuff and like you know spare no expenses like it's the largest size that you can get that the badge mm. company does mm. and they're full color and like it's a genuinely it's a fancy thing that people would actively want and would wear on their lapel if they're like if you're a badges type person you would like this badge mm. so it's something that has like objective merit and value mm. as well as a bit of a thank you for people coming out and supporting mm. it so it's, it's that it's a way of going like you're a member of our team you know quantum leopard militia rah rah yeah. and that's that's what it is hello listener how you feeling you enjoying the episode i hope so I've really enjoyed putting it together. I am just putting this in because you're about to hear a mid-roll ad. Well, you might be. I can't guarantee anything. The uh, the ads in the middle are not a given. So basically, the way it works is they, 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 the people, the man, uh, Acast, who are the podcast hosts who look after this, they go out and find me some advertisers. They'll basically negotiate terms and then if the advertiser wanted a mid-roll as well as a uh advert at the start and at the end of the podcast they pay a little bit extra and have that i didn't want it to be as random as it kind of came across to me and some other people when i was listening to them back so i've just put in a little bit of a a preamble to the advert okay this is like a pre-pre-roll to the advert okay so uh you might not be about to get an ad but if you do, remember I gave you some warning, okay? So here comes your mid-roll ad, or a very weird introduction to absolutely nothing, now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow, isn't that an amazing product and/or service? 
I hope we're all going to buy loads of that. That would be amazing. And even if you don't, it doesn't matter because they've already paid for the advert. So, uh, how was it? was the advert any good? Did you even get one? I don't know anymore. I'm talking to you from a different office than the ad people. That was fun. I'm going to get you back to the uh, podcast now, but before I do, come see me on tour or at the Edinburgh Festival at Sweet Venues doing a show called Every Room Becomes a Panic Room and You Overthink Enough. I've already I've already said there's going to be an advert in the middle here, so I might as well chuck in a plug for my shit. There's links in the show notes. Come see me live. I could really appreciate the money. Either that or become a patron and you'll get a copy of this, which has no ads. What? That's revolutionary shit. If you would like a copy of this episode with absolutely no ads and you can listen to it on the podcast player of your choice, become a patron from $1 an episode and you, yes you, you, my good friend, look me in the face, don't look away, look look, look me in the eye, you could be listening to this episode and not me ramble right now. You'd be listening to it ad-free for the low, low price of 80p. Either way, we're getting back into it now. Bye. Which is very much something I haven't really seen. I mean, other clubs sell T-shirts and things like that. Yeah. So it's sort of your version of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People get the badges for free. They can't be bought with money. They can only be bought with loyalty, uh, which I, I value much more highly. Or six friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or six friends. Well, it's loyalty by proxy, isn't it? That's, that's uh, it's like, again, it's like multi-level marketing. But I mean, the other thing as well is that like, I mean, like just from a sort of a raw mechanics operational point of view, mm. like these badges cost a couple of quid and like you give the same size of badge to somebody who's um, uh, an, an XXS as you do to somebody who's an XXL. Mm. You don't need to get a range of them yep. in. You don't need to always be cutting them around. The badges are a hell of a lot lighter than lugging around a load of yep, t-shirts. Yep, yep. So just do it that way. It's why I do badges after all my Edinburgh shows. Yeah. Like that have like jokes on them from yeah. the show. Because I'm like, I can carry a bag of badges. Yeah. I can't carry, I can, you know, whatever. Hell of a lot lighter. So oh, that's, that's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. So, I mean... They don't make a profit, but they are fucking easier to yeah. give away, and people remember them. People yeah. come back to show my shows and wear them, and I love that. Yeah, so yeah, I, I get loads of people going like, "When can I have a badge?" And I'm like, "You need to come to two more gigs to come for a badge, or like bring six people next time." Yeah. Like, sorry, yeah, jump but, the queue exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's like you know, it, it does provide a little bit of an incentive, and it's like it's a nice like. I mean, it's a playful thing, but like mm. you know, it's it's a bit of extra fun. It's a thing that people can get, and it's it's just it's nice. They're, they're nice badges I like the badges mm. shout like out badges. to um, uh, Billy Stone uh, who's also a very talented comedian on, on his own bat who designed uh, both Quantum Leopard logos he's done a very mm. very good job and people really like him so uh, cool. for, for all your graphic design needs I will link him in the show notes okay cool uh, second thing yeah uh, as most regular listeners of this podcast will know uh-huh. I'm a big fan of a mailing list right yeah I I uh, I'll t- tell you my main reason yeah. is I think social media has become so toxic social media yeah. based around the numbers of everything yeah. so I like the fact that I know my number you don't know my number but yeah. they come anyway yeah. so it doesn't matter yeah. about the number so who cares why do you have a main list I assume other than that reason yeah uh, well, social media promotion is just like pushing on string like way back when we used to do most of the promo via Facebook uh, and it was a Ads mix or no oh, just okay. um, uh, invites like I'd made sure that if I'd made a contact with somebody who was interested in coming to see me at some point in a gig, I would add them on Facebook. And that was my main thing. And that once upon a time, that was helpful because you could add any number of people to an event yep, and invite yep. them and it would pop up and it would be like a notification. You would get that and that would be useful. That's gradually been phased out and become less mm-hmm. and less useful. I don't even bother with Facebook events for mm-hmm. um, content of it anymore. Facebook, the Facebook group only exists as a vector for collecting people's email addresses if they want to sign up to the mailing list. So in terms of the mailing list you like you're saying you can monitor how many
many people are on it, you know how many people you've got, and you can monitor. I'm using Mailchimp. You can monitor how many people are opening it, Love and you can segment. Shout it. out to Mailchimp. Yeah, Mailchimp. Love it. Link in the doobly doo. Yeah, Mailchimp. Dead, dead good. But people actually respond to the emails, and it's also people have. I've given people an incentive to respond to the emails and open the emails because now the email is the only way that you get tickets. Mm. That is literally the only way you get tickets, or be married to me. That is the only other <laughs> way of getting tickets. I've tried, mate. I, I know. Proposed several You're, times. I know, but like, I do not cross my wife. She was from a dangerous and barbaric frontier people and she will gut you like a snake. Yeah, but you have no idea how much I like your night. Uh, <laughs> you have no idea how violently jealous my wife is. So, Well, that which, sounds worrying what happens and when, Exactly. It's <laughs> what happens when a deeply ignorant object meets a deeply ignorant force. Oh, okay, lovely. Let's so, um, yeah, so, so mailing list, it's for that reason. People pay attention to them. I've given them an incentive yeah. to open the email and it's not like pushing on the string. So your events are done, is it Eventbrite? No, Ticket Text. We use Ticket. Eventbrite for ages, but oh, Ticket Text. Oh, because you're with two North Down. With two North Down. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I will say about uh, emails, yeah. um, the way we collected email addresses, we gave people more of an incentive. Um, rather than just sign up to the mailing list, Part of uh, we give people voting slips when they're picking which of the mm. five minute acts they want to see, uh, they want to win, and they want to see do a 10 minute spot at a future one. And it says on there, give me your email address if you want to be on the mailing list. And mm. so we get them we get them like that. It's not like, here's a separate thing, here's a separate sheet of paper, you've got to go to the table at the back and do it. It's you've got a piece of paper, you've got an opportunity to sign up the mailing list. And in some ways, it's almost harder not to. Nowadays, we've got so many regulars, like we get maybe sort of 10, 20, 30 signups per show, something like that. Um, depending how many newbies we've got in mm. and, and it sort of gradually gradually builds I think we've probably got about 900 people on the mailing list something like mm. that now um, your night sells out and I'm only putting yeah. it in quotation marks for people who aren't in the room because it's all yeah, 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 yeah. in that it's a free night yeah. so people sign up for it um, and so obviously there's a caveat to selling out in that they still have to come down and, and you know ideally show. pay because yeah. then that would obviously keep them that going yeah, yeah. So, so but obviously you've got a different measure of how you rate a gig's success. Yeah. So, uh, sort of a, a logistical question yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of boring is... No, no, very happy to answer this. And this is going to, this is the kind of thing that really affects people who are doing yeah. shows on this model. Yeah, and exactly. And it's really, really important. Yeah. And I, I want to be very transparent about this. Yeah. Managing uh, unannounced no-shows is the biggest single obstacle that I face yeah. in running this gig. It's really, really important to me for like basically like ideological reasons. It's a point of principle that I want my gig to be pay what you can because like Mm -hmm. we live in a vicious society and I don't want people to be priced out of a good night at the comedy just because Mm -hmm. they don't have the money. Mm -hmm. It's really important to me and I will put in a significant amount of effort to make sure that that model continues to happen. Mm -hmm. And it is is the thing, it takes me, it takes up more of my time than booking acts. The only other thing that takes longer than this is vetting applications. Mm -hmm. And, And even then I only do that once every couple of months. So this is something that I have to do for every single gig. Unannounced no-shows are a massive, massive pain. So if someone booked a ticket and they don't tell you they're not coming and they don't come, yeah, banned? I send them a nice email saying like, hey, you didn't turn up though you booked tickets. This makes it quite tricky for me to run the gig. Is everything okay? Blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I'll get responses and there'll be like really good reasons and that's totally fine. If someone does it a couple of times, I'm just going to remove them from the mailing list. And that's the only way to get tickets so you won't get to come to the gig. Because it's you, you by doing that, you are denying somebody else the opportunity to come to the gig. And now I'm at a point where like for this, this one coming up, the next gig, I've got 20 people on my waiting list. I've pushed out a certain number of tickets. I expect a certain number of cancellations before. That's, that's fine. Real life happens. Even with uh, like flights, international flights, 
flights. Airlines, where you're paying several hundred pounds for the privilege of flying between countries, they expect a dropout rate of about five or ten percent, depending on the route, mm. and that's several hundred pounds. That's the investment that people have made in this consumer choice. Mm. Yeah, with a pay what you like comedy night, they've invested no pounds. Mm. So I expect a dropout rate of. Like nowadays, if I'm doing well, I will get a 5 to 10% dropout rate on mm. the numbers that I get. I operate on the assumption that I will get slightly more than that, but that's why I operate the waiting list system yep. and I will reallocate. I book a certain number of tickets. Mm. Uh, so I, I put out a certain number of tickets, which is slightly more than um, the official fire safety capacity of the venue. I wouldn't want to fill it to fire safety capacity because that'd be incredibly uncomfortable for everybody. And I then I manage that and it's it's more art than science, but we've never, we've never been at fire safety capacity capacity and it's been very hot and absolutely rammed and standing room only and been let's be honest here a bit uncomfortable from time to time but like we've we've kept it safe and we've kept the gig as pay what you like and that's really really important to me so dealing with those sorts of no-shows is really really difficult one Mm. of the main things that combats it is having like this in-group loyalty of having like the quantum leopard militia the badge people they're absolutely fucking lovely like they're proper sort of comedy super fans who like really enjoy their comedy really lovely really love the night and love them to bits and they're the people who keep the night going I 100% do it for them but having them as being like the main people that book tickets means that I have a far lower dropout rate and that's another good reason for selfish reasons why putting tickets out to them early is a good thing and is helpful provides them a benefit they definitely get a ticket Mm. it provides me a benefit I've got people who are much less likely to drop out Mm. well there's so uh, there's a few people questioning this and it's Uh it's I think it's of interest more for Edinburgh, but I think let's talk about it in terms of your night as a as a sort of monthly. Yeah. So obviously London's a very expensive city. I assume and you can correct me if I'm wrong and even if not, we can talk about that if you can. You pay a higher fee for the venue. Yeah. You have door staff, you lovely, lovely door staff. Yeah. You have uh, yeah, people, people people who I'm gonna work. say hello to there. Uh, some combination of Reese, uh, Sarah and Alison. Thanks, yeah. Reese, Sarah and Alison. Thank I was you. gonna say I was gonna do a shout out, but I would find it. Yeah, well they're more yours than mine, but they're always they're always absolutely lovely. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, every time I chat well, to them. So. They're all former punters. They're all people who came along yeah. tonight, loved it so much and stayed and have stayed for long yeah. enough and now they help me out doing front of house so, and i pay them and I yeah pay them. well that's what i was gonna say so so you have staff essentially yeah you have a a, a, a profitable night but how do you budget without knowing i mean obviously after a certain amount of months you're like well this person usually gives us some but you it, some, something might change yeah you know they might so so, so anxiety wise for a person wanting to start a night like this yeah who wants to pay acts yeah yeah who doesn't want to have to take you know 200 pound out of their pocket to pay all the acts yeah let's talk about what you pay acts for the time they're doing yeah approximates if you want yeah 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 and because i'm having a flexible for certain things and how you mediate not necessarily knowing how much you're going to be able to get sure, and sure. how much you have to pay for yeah. stuff. So it was different once upon a time when we started and to mm. how it is now, because obviously there's far more people, yep. there's more money sloshing around, all of this sort of stuff. We can talk um, about both. if you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fine. I, I, just, I think it's important to kind of separate those out as two mm. things. The first thing I do want to say here, and I think this is really important, that this is not a night that I run for money. Like I do, I make some money on it, but like genuinely, if money was my objective here, I, it would make more sense for me to just work some overtime. Like, the amount of time that I put into running this gig, um, like I don't even make like 
minimum wage running it with the cut that I take once all of the expenses have been taken out. When I started, I just did it as bucket split um, and I paid my feature acts. So headliner and um, opener and uh, middle tens, I would pay, I paid all of them. And that was just done as straight bucket split and people were aware that that was what the deal was um, with an obvious tilt towards trying to pay the headliner more because they are a professional, generally speaking, like I'm not sure we've, yeah, like professional or should be treated as professional professional because they are of that standard and paid accordingly blah blah um i've gradually over the years been able to pay headliners and feature acts more and more i've gradually phased in paying the five minute acts and so they're paid like it's it's only a fiver but it's the principle of thing is that Mm. i can pay everybody so i'm going to pay everybody like i'm not aware of anywhere else i'm i will be proved wrong i'm not aware of anywhere else that pays acts for five i'm I'm not either so that's yeah yeah, yeah. we might get some expenses here and there for club nights but yeah, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, what I generally do and what I did in kind of like the um, intermediate kind of stage was, and I, I'm still basically doing this now, is if an act is not somebody that I've dealt with before, like basically acts who've dealt with me before, like generally know and like and trust me to give them a fair share of the bucket. Good bucket, you'll get a good share of the tape, blah, blah, blah. And they trust me to do that. If an act doesn't know me or I'm going through an agent or something like that, I will generally like guarantee them a minimum and say, look, it's likely to be like, I will guarantee you this much and I will pay you more if the bucket is good. And it generally is good. So I do generally get to pay people more. So that's, that's roughly the model of how we do it. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You won an award. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. How does that, because you're, I mean, it's it's kind of a two part question, but Uh I think the answer from you would be in the same thing you're quite an underground club i'm just bad at marketing simon that's mostly what it is oh but, yeah you're that, quite it, bad at marketing James. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, yeah uh, no no i would, I would say thing. I, I mean i'm i would say more you have a cultish following for the night yeah and you cult you, personality I'm, I'm a charismatic socialist with a moustache and cult following when has that ever gone wrong that's well i mean <laughs> Corbett? No, no. Uh, let's not That's talk not about it. Let's go with the beard. Anyway. Okay, sorry. Yeah, right. I, I, he had a moustache at some point. But anyway. He did. Anyway, um, right. Yeah. I want Corbyn as Prime Minister much less than I want John McDonnell as Chancellor. That's really, really I important. don't want any of them we'll in, but let's on. not talk about that right now. All right. I, d- I, d- I don't want any... Drop oh. mic, walk out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, so... So, so, you've got a bit of a culty night. Yeah, yeah. It's underground. Cult, cult favorite, the yeah. That won an award that, let's be frank about this, yeah. other clubs wanted. Yeah. More than you. Can't have it. We got it. No, no. <laughs> For this year. But, but no, but my point is, <laughs> yeah, is that yeah. the, the comedy store, the Piccadilly Comedy Club, Soho, the list goes on because it's, yeah. it's a London-based, it's a yeah, London-based yeah, award yeah. for it's the Chortle. So it's the Chortle Award for Best Comedy Night in London 2018. Yeah. So the, the key thing there so this is this year, jury's out. Yeah, jury's <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, it's, it's taken a real nosedive in quality in 2019. I've, just, yeah. I've really started half-assing out. just got massively complacent. <laughs> yeah, got Kane in. Just got like two and a half hours with no intervals just with <laughs> Simon Kane. I'm doing that for Edinburgh this year, to be fair. It's a preview. Such a mistake. <laughs> such a mistake. Um, yeah. So just to, to clarify, yeah. it's, it's a single individual night. You, we're not competing against, like... <clears throat> if we're comp- but, but it is something they would want. Yeah, yeah. Because it's an award and it comes from Chortle and therefore yeah. has prestige. And, like, they would want that and that's fine. Yeah. But, like, you know, our di- direct competition for that would be, like, specific nights that they would yeah. run. Wouldn't be, like for the comedy store as a whole no. uh, or angel it'd be like for, for Sunday players or something like that something yeah. I had not heard of that but probably that, it, that thing if they've got oh the, oh, I don't know, the, or the gong or something like yeah, 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 yeah. something's like got a, 
a cohesive identity of yep. its own. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they would want it. And like, lucky us, we got it. And yep. um, But, like, you know, the way that... Uh, I'm, I'm going to be very transparent about this. The way the nomination system works is that, like, it's it's by audience vote. Like, you, you email in to vote. So, you know... You just ask your... Cult it to, for, well, like I said, here's here's the thing: the Chortle Award. You know, we think we're doing good things with comedy. It'd be nice if you voted for us. I didn't push it very hard. I think I maybe put it in one mailer and maybe did like a, one, maybe two Facebook posts. If that constitutes campaigning, then that's campaigning. But I mean, I'd, I'd say it's more campaigning than just ignoring it. But yeah, it yeah. is more campaigning than just ignoring yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's be fair. And like, you know, again, but I'm you're not, bad at marketing, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not without vanity. Like, you know, it's, um, it's nice to win an award. Like, yeah. the I've won. Okay, so I've won two awards in my comedy career. One of them is for running this night for running Quantum Leopard, which I put a hell of a lot of work into. I'm really, really proud of building up. I think I've built like a lovely night that's fun for acts, fun for punters, and has got a real kind of community spirit to it. My only other award here, I won the we. Won the uh, I used to um, there's an improv group that I set up and ran from scratch called Fat Kit and Improv and we won the Make a Wish Theatre Sports Cup which is the only thing in UK improv at the time for which there was an award. So my two comedy awards are basically for admin and I've. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like, again, I have no shame in that because admin is really fucking hard. And like, being, hate, being a decent you. comedian is like, you. well, you I, hate I, me. Yeah, because I, I hate do, you I too, do Simon. tons of admin. Yeah. And I get <laughs> and no awards. I didn't know no there was any awards. No, yeah. No. But people tell me I'm great at it. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's a skill. Like, yeah, this stuff doesn't just happen. Like, no, it's course. so easy to take this sort of stuff for granted. When I hear people bitching about, like, the free fringe, mm. I'm like, you have no idea how much work goes into this. Mm. Like, these are people who are saving you several thousands of pounds by providing you or trying to provide you with like uh, with a venue with a venue at Edinburgh time and like all of the whining that goes on like if you don't like it pay several thousand pounds for the alternative you know it's it's a cooperative and you get as much out of it as you put in all of this sort of stuff like these are people who are working their asses off unpaid largely underappreciated because it's something that they believe in like without people doing this sort of community spirited thing not just in comedy in any aspect of society like the things that make life work Worth living the thing that makes society worth living in mm. don't happen like you know my my mum and dad are scout leaders and guide leaders and have been for like about 40 odd years something like that like way longer than i've been alive and like they don't do that for the money they do that because they think it's important to give yeah. something back to the community yeah. and like to give young people opportunities to do things that are maybe outside their experience maybe like take some risks in a safe control like a comparatively controlled environment yeah. controlled risk that's how you grow as a person mm. but without those opportunities without them volunteering huge amounts of their time and i've seen how much time they put into it behind the scenes like this this doesn't happen yeah like and society becomes like weaker and more boring as a result and you just have things that you pay for you have and that that becomes the only reason why stuff happens is because you can make a profit out of it like the things that make make life worth living and make society worth living in are the stuff that people do uh, the things that people do because it doesn't make a profit because they think it will be a good idea it will be nice to do this if you put a price on absolutely everything then by it cheapens it it cheapens it because you've 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 assigned a value to it and it's an arbitrary value and you've assigned a price to it and that has undercut its value by applying a price you've destroyed the value especially with art especially with art yeah. but like if you want to make this like a sort of a fancy wafty nonsense conversation I think that applies to so many other things in life like, it does but if I'm you saying, pay yeah. somebody to love you then that love has no value you put a price on it and you've destroyed the voluntary impulse that makes that a thing that is worth having for want of a better verb yeah and I, I think that's that's so true of anything else that's like 
a voluntary endeavor, voluntary enterprise, whether that is supporting a community by running a scout or grind group for 40 odd years, whether that's running a comedy night, that is giving something back. I could make so much more money off Quantum Leopard if I wanted to. I just don't want to. I want to run something that is like good and nice. Well, okay. Let me just ask you this yeah. question before we move on to Edinburgh. Uh-uh. How could you make money from Quantum Leopard if you wanted to? Oh, God. To? You've got my spot there. I've taught myself into a rhetorical corner, and now no, I need could, to back out. How could I do as, that? As a genuine question, because I, I think it's... Uh, and we won't talk about your work, but I think yeah. it's fair to say that you have a job. I have a day job, yeah, and I have a day, day job, job that pays the bills. A, yeah. And like it's a, so, so you're a middling a corporate job. I am comfortable. I don't need yeah. to run... So you're, you're, you're in a position where... Uh, quite a privileged position where yeah. you can run a night and not necessarily worry about if it did make a loss you, you, yeah. you, you yeah. would be fine I, I'm yeah. just making that clear yeah, yeah, because there fine. are people out there who potentially are unemployed who want to start a yeah, night yeah, yeah. who are going oh I can do this and it's going to you know yeah. I just want to make it clear you're so oh yeah yeah and absolutely you're going yeah, yeah that's yeah, fine yeah. and yeah so I, I generally don't make a loss on Quantum Leopard there have been gigs where I have made a loss in some cases quite a substantial loss on particularly tricky nights that have been difficult for whatever reason but generally speaking I do make some money from it like I say in terms of the amount of time I put in mm-hmm. it's not even minimum wage yeah, yeah. Yeah. but it's it's like it's i don't like lose money like it's a it's you get a, a nice gig out of it which yeah, is yeah exactly i get a nice gig out. like it's um it's a by the standards of most people's hobbies it's extremely lucrative by the standards of most people's professions it's incredibly poorly paid yeah. and indeed illegal so yeah. like it just it, you know yeah. blah blah how can i make more money out of it <sighs> put your put your corporate put my corporate on. how could i make i don't know i mean this is the thing like buying how could i how let me have a think i mean the me- yeah you know, I've said that. I'm not sure that I could. I think now that I've maybe developed a USP in such a way that by pushing it more in that direction, I probably couldn't. Well, one of the things I might do is put like a fixed ticket price on it and that way and like not refund people for not showing up. I probably could do that. That's the, the only thing I could think that I could maybe do that would involve some sort of moral compromise that... I mean, I would consider that a massive moral compromise and I would, that would be like right at the bottom of my list. I would, I would really consider whether I want to run the gig at all if that was the price that I had to pay to do it, morally speaking, not financially. But that's a thing that I could like maybe justify to regulars who thought that things like the ethos was like that. Um, I, I think of the ethos and pay what you like as being like comparably important. Mm-hmm. They're both vital pillars that support what the night is. But for maybe regulars who thought that the ethos was more important than pay what you like, maybe I could do that and maybe well, like that. Maybe that's a thing that I could do. But that's the only thing that I can really think of. I think if I were to try and make it like full corporate, then I would put so many people off and that would destroy what it was as a night and people would stop coming. So is it scalable? It's as big as I want it to be. Like, I mean, I mean, I maybe want to run it slightly more often because I bloody love booking the thing, genuinely, because it's like, okay, I really like you as an act and I want to watch you perform. I really like you as an act, I want to watch you perform. Every single bill is packed with acts that I want to see. I, I you know, this is uh, this is the sort of the customised Netflix queue of comedy for me and I blooming love it. The only times when I'll take a bit more of a risk is with the five-minute spots, but mm. they're five-minute spots and if I don't like them, they're over in a few minutes and that's fine. Yeah. And I really like booking it. So I'd maybe want to push it to maybe once a fortnight. On the, I think I tried that once and we struggled the numbers a bit. Once every three weeks means it's an occasion. People put it in the diaries yeah, and they definitely, yeah. definitely come. And That's what I like about running a monthly. Yeah. Is I feel like the people that come every month will come every couple of months. Exactly. It's like we book it every quarter or every six months and they sort of go, oh, I, well, I like the theme of the February one or I like that. And yeah. so they come. Yeah. So I think that's another tip for yeah, people yeah, who want to run a night. You know, don't, there are open mics that run every week and there are good nights to run it, like yeah. yours that run every week as well well we're every three weeks we're every three weeks no, no but I'm saying week. there are nights oh, that sorry. Okay, like yeah, other, yeah. other nights that yeah. run every week that are great but by having it 
as a rarity, you yeah. up the value of their exactly. reason for yeah. going. Yeah. Make it an occasion, make it an experience. If you're if you're setting up a night, start off running it monthly. Run it monthly, maybe like run one test thing as a launch night, as a bit of a sort of blah, 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 get your mates in for that. Mm. If you can prove to them that you can run a decent night, then mm. they are much more likely to come back to something if you do it as a monthly thing. Mm. Monthly is like, that's very limited social pressure. If you miss one, there'll be another one in a month's time, blah, blah, blah. But people who are coming to every single one of them, because it's amazing, and I believe in you, it's going to be amazing. Like, don't feel that you, you know, going to see you is the only thing they do for fun yeah. you know what i mean yeah. yeah so i think yeah i know maybe at most i'd want to push it to once a fortnight maybe like we could fill more seats like we could fill a bigger venue but i mean two north downs got like lovely capacity i'm comfortable with that i don't really want it to be that much bigger what's the capacity the official fire safety capacity i think is about 100 people and uh, you need to ask the venue staff whether that includes cast and crew or not i don't think yeah. it does but that's but- kind of roughly what you're looking at like i mean i, I suppose in an ideal world i'd have some of that has like the wonderful atmosphere and stuff of two north down mm. but i'd have another 20 or 30 seats in and that would enable me i could scale it up a bit i could get more money in the bucket which would mean i could pay acts more and that'd be good i'd like to be able to pay people more for their time because i think i pay people decently i think we we compare quite favorably on rates to many london clubs but not maybe weekend tent pole kind of things you mm. know what i mean like pros can do our gig and headline and that's okay for them but it's not a big earning gig it's a gig where it's like i'm doing this gig because i love the gig it's a, i'm gonna have a really great time if i can double up on the night i'm definitely going to mm. kind of thing but like the money it like if they don't manage to double up then it's not a waste of a night they've not made a loss on the evening it ends kind of on time and, at the, and early enough that you could headline a late night or a late yeah, show yeah 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 you could certainly open you can open anywhere else in london and do our gig yeah, yeah. this is the first time you've had a venue that isn't a rehearsal space essentially yeah yeah how did you pick there we really struggled i was trying to find somewhere else so previously it was both pay what you like and bring your own booze so that was a real usp for us like super 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 cheap so you could genuinely you could come to our night with like no money and like a six pack that you got from the supermarket have a fucking amazing night uh off your face have a great night at the comedy brilliant the the thing the, what i had to jettison because we were really struggling to find spaces that fit our other criteria was the byob thing like we we couldn't make that work anywhere else and i made so many inquiries i tried so hard to find a space that was like that but we just couldn't all of the rehearsal spaces i'm dealing with were losing their spaces to developers which is like you know the dead hat of capitalism just like slaps itself across any fun that's had in london the only other places where we could potentially have done that were like too far out they were like a tricky bit of zone two or they were zone three and like that would mean that it would be really hard for people to get to it wouldn't necessarily be safe for people to get back things like that and those those are considerations so we had to drop that bit so it was like okay where where do we know that's in zone one that is affordable given our budget um that is nice that gets what we're trying to do that will give us a space for an evening and two north down like they're on the up they've kind of just developed the space they've been going for a little while but not ages and ages so we're not like displacing anybody we're not Mm -hmm. stepping on anybody's toes in a way that we might be even with like you know fun indie people like angel like they've got they're really heavily booked and they've got loads of stuff going on and i we would be less special as a pay what you like night at angel as a pay what you like night at two north down we've got more of a usp we've got more of an atmosphere and like this is we're we're more of a cult favourite at somewhere like Two North Down. We're a temple night for them in a way that we wouldn't necessarily be at a more established comedy club and I said the greatest respect to Two North Down because it's going to become super established because it's a lovely space that's really well done that's booked by people who really fucking know what they're doing. Yeah, really, really great people. Shout out to Alana Sam and the team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, Edinburgh. 
Yeah, Edinburgh. You go with PBH? Yeah. Or you, when you go, you go with PBH? Yeah, yeah. I haven't for a number of years because uh, Reasons yeah. a Baby, I've got a two-year-old and an Edinburgh run is utterly incompatible with a child or at least preparing a show to yeah. the standard you were wanted to is incompatible with having a child yeah. and a job. And if you were doing that pre this night? Yes. So it feels, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like that precursor set you up for a lot of the absolutely 100% 100% like in many ways Peter Buckley Hill is the grandfather of Quantum Leopard like ideologically speaking as I'm allowed to do a spot whenever no no (laughs) (laughs) Um, no I just I I want to touch you about your mentality about the fringe why you do it whether what's your what's your what was your reasoning for doing that so I did when I was doing so I've done uh, six Edinburgh Fringe runs running my own shows three of them with uh, improv shows where I run my group Fat Kitten and uh, three with um, solo uh, stand-up in the first case it was a two-hander but uh, yeah so the reasons for doing it are because like it's an amazing time like if if comedy is the thing that you do for fun you will get to do more of it in a month than you could anywhere else under any other circumstances Um, if you've got a show that you think is quite good at the beginning it is the best place to go to practice that and get really, really, really slick at it 20 odd times over the course of a month. The atmosphere is amazing and you know, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn something about the human condition. Like mm. it's it's comedy boot camp. Like mm. it's I think I feel that like, you know, it's got corporate, it's got commercial, you can still have a good experience doing a free fringe show. And mm. I think that's that's a really important thing to say. It is a very different experience and I would I would recommend that if you've got no stroke limited money, is that you don't just like piss money into the darkness on PR, go up there, do it yourself, make mistakes, fail. If you're losing money, at least you know that you'll be losing money on things that are reasonable mm. essentials. You won't be spending a couple of grand on PR. You won't be spending a couple of grand on venue hire. Um, your biggest single expense will be accommodation. And after that food, after that transport, after that uh, transport flyer is probably about the same sort of thing. Mm. Like go out there, fly it yourself, shoulder to the wheel, take care of yourself, certainly in weeks one and two, and then just fuck it. Just drink like a fish in week three how wrong can it go go up and have an amazing time i do because it's an amazing experience it's where you go from big being like you should never go you should never go while you're bad but it's where you go in order to like really hone your craft to go from being a six out of ten comedian to being an eight or a nine out of ten comedian yeah that's what you want it's that really intense experience yeah and i can i say i would rather drink the final week when all the nominations are out and you didn't get one (laughs) that feels more healthy to me don't go out having expecting a nomination (laughs) go up there expecting failure but knowing that you you're gonna like do your best to put on like an amazing show you you like it's so easy to forget this as a performer like just because you enjoy performing and that's why you do it doesn't that's not that's not why comedy exists like comedy exists because you're there to entertain people like you are there like it's enormous privilege to have an audience's attention like attention is brilliant right mm. it's great it's loads of fun just ask my toddler fucking loves it like he's so much his father's son in that respect attention is brilliant it is an enormous privilege and but you are there to you need to make good use of that attention you can't waste it you can't treat your audience badly like you are there to entertain them that's why they've come to see you they've not come to stroke your ego you need to go there and put on like the best show that you possibly can that's going to entertain people as best as you are able go out there and like find pleasure in making people happy like that's that's why you should go up to Edinburgh and that's why you should be doing comedy and if you are doing it because you want you know fame uh, riches the good stable happy life then you're, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're going to be enormously enormously disappointed would it also be fair to say because we've discussed this off mic yeah, yeah. and you might not want to discuss it now you're due to personal stuff and family stuff yeah yeah you're 
expectations and aims for what you're going to get out of comedy yeah. have adjusted. Hugely, hugely. I've mentioned this, I've used this phrase before, but it bears repeating again because it applies to these circumstances. Yeah. I made a very deliberate decision a few years ago, like I was a couple of years into stand-up, I made a very deliberate decision that I was going to make comedy a very well-paid hobby that I enjoy rather than a very poorly paid job I resent because I wanted a family and I wanted children, I wanted to be a father. That was really important to me and that I, I like I, I know that there are comedians who make it work but they like it's not without its stresses that is not something that I could plausibly do I I have a bit of material security because I've committed some of my resources like intellectual to having a day job that is like reasonably well paid and that I can provide like security and stability for a family with that is not something that you can do with comedy like you will almost certainly be renting forever all of this sort of stuff unless you've got a side gig at minimum particularly and, not when you're running pay what you want nights and Edinburgh fringes that yeah, you don't know how much money you're going to be exactly getting. exactly like that's like that is that's the sort of gamble that you can't make with somebody else's money and if you've got kids you are making that gamble with money that you are using to feed them so that's not a risk that you can take if you're doing that like, I mean well you can but you're a terrible parent don't do it uh, you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it makes sense why you haven't been to Edinburgh for a couple of years as well since yeah. that. So it's quite yeah. cool. And then really quickly, the tour you did. Oh, the yeah, the front room, room tour. tour. So yeah. I, I was at your show, uh, I think it was 2016 or 2015. Yeah, something where, like that. Where you, at the end, were trying to sell tea towels of your face. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, great merchandising. <laughs> Lighter than T-shirts, but yeah. not as light as badges. And I like they, you only need one size of tea towel. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. the vital thing. When yeah, you're yeah. lugging them up and down the country. Remember that, everyone. The yeah. One size fits all merchandise is yeah. the best. Um, so, you've, so you've got your tea towels yeah and at the end you were like if you want to come and see the show again but in your living room yeah i'm assuming you'd done maybe living room previews then and you were like let's carry on with this i mean like, in my own house i was like well <laughs> give us a go how wrong can it go and I, then i did a few turns out quite a lot yeah <laughs> i mean like i'm i'm under no illusions there like it's something that i i could only do because like you know i do not fear sleeping in strangers houses and i'm aware that's something that i could do because i'm a bloke and a bloke with the ability and like you know social comments blah 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 say like no fuck off get out of this bed all of this sort of stuff like that's the kind of thing that I can do and equally like if my accommodation falls through then I'm like it's not as dangerous or uncomfortable or awkward for me to like camp out for the night literally like in a, on a station concourse or whatever like that's a thing that I can do mm. so uh, the main reason for doing that was like I'm not a club comic. In order to tour my show and get in front of more people and get more gigs, I would need to do more club gigs. Like, they're not really for me. Like, some of them are really good and really fun. And if that's your thing, like, go for it. You do you. No judgment. I'm, I do, I'm doing my thing. It's not really for club gigs and vice versa. That's fine. Otherwise, uh, so it was my way of, like, finding my audience and doing something special for them and, like, doing gigs to like a pre-built audience. It was doing something for people that were um, coming to see me. It's like, let's have this really cool, amazing thing. We're gonna have a house party and the thing that we're gonna do that's gonna make this house party special is yeah, we're just gonna have this comedian come in and he's just gonna do his hour in my lounge with no microphone. And I saw the show in Edinburgh. It was really great. You're gonna fucking love this, blah, blah, blah. All of this. Like, you know, I had maybe one ropey gig with doing those. And that was the right at the end because I was, you know, my wife was heavily pregnant at the time and I was really stressed out and I hadn't done it for a couple of months. And it was a bit of a whimper to the end. I think but, those are all reasonable reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I had so many amazing gigs there that was so much fun to do. And it's one of these things though, like it's a really, really informal atmosphere and it's a proper... 
like 20 years ago, I would have tried to do like a tour of like squats or whatever. That infrastructure just doesn't exist anymore. But this was kind of like the next best thing. And I was doing like, you know, student houses and like, um, you know, various other kind of like shared accommodation bits and pieces. Like I did almost no gigs and somebody's like, I am, uh, I own my own home. Come do it at my conservatory. Very few of them. It was always people who were like committed to the sort of DIY ethos kind of thing, who kind of got what I was doing, who liked the show partly for those sorts of reasons and um, I kind of really wanted to get on board with it for that reason so it was it was finding my core audience building my crowd it was kind of inspired by the whole like Amanda Palmer thing who did mm. a very very similar sort of thing just nick that idea yeah. do that in my format if it works for Amanda Palmer fucking work for me and I pay my tour support I didn't have tour support I had no idea <laughs> I, had, I had tour support on two occasions but that was it but most I just did my own thing yeah and um, I'm, I'm guessing there's a, a vetting pro- I mean like what would the say someone wants to do a a, a living room tour yeah a comedy living room tour because obviously it's different for music we'll put yeah, a, yeah, yeah. We'll put a buddy, uh, pin in that pin in Amanda Palm. what were what were the biggest things you learned and what were the biggest mistakes you made yeah and probably what were the things you learned from the mistakes sure 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 yeah I mean like vetting wasn't that much of an issue like usually if somebody is like together enough to actually organise the gig and so you, like, you had a minimum criteria, like you've got to bring 10 friends. Or, or something, like something like that. Like I was very clear with them of like, this is going to get like awkward if you don't have, a li- like the minimum number of people that you need in a room is probably about 10, 12. So like you've got to be very, very clear and say, look, this is the absolute minimum for it to not be awkward and weird. So be super, super clear about that. Make sure that you check at every stage that, okay, so you're going to be hosting this uh, gig. Is this time okay for me to turn up? Is this the right station? Is it definitely actually happening? Am I okay to stay over? Do you have a bed for me or do I need to like do I need to bring a sleeping bag like these sorts of things like check this sort of stuff have a checklist uh, if you want to make money from it I was doing it as pay what you like which I think is the only way that you can do it with this sort of thing like rattle a bucket at the end and what I did with my free fringe shows and what I did with this tour as well was basically say you know if you give me a tenner you get a dvd of my previous year's show and a tea towel with my terrifying face on it um, so it's like it's an item that's uh, both fun and lightweight mm-hmm. and it's also like it's something that tells a story somebody has like um, a tea towel that's got my printed screaming fisheye lens taken photographic photograph over it like that's something that you can like terrify people with and I keep being sent photos still of people who've taken these tea towels like terrifying parts of the world one person one lady came to see the show she'd um, sewn it into a pillowcase yeah. and presented it to her boyfriend uh, over the bed as a prelude to an evening of sensuous delight fucking love that shit send me photos of that that's great. not the, 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 pre- yeah, the, the prelude not, yeah, not the yeah, sensual yeah. delight I'm fine with that oh, shame. I had a great tweet ready for you <laughs> uh, but so okay, yeah okay. so those are those are kind of my key points is like check everything check everything remember that you're there to have a good time also I would recommend that you only do this when you are quite well established and confident in A your abilities and B your show it takes a very specific sort of show to be able to do that it needs yeah. to be non-theatrical you need to be happy to break the fourth wall like my show ran pretty tightly to an hour in Edinburgh like an Edinburgh hour 55 mm. whenever I was doing it in people's front rooms it was an hour and a half it was two hours I had to incorporate an interval mm. uh, all of this because I got chatting because I got chatting I riffed more I was back and forthing more with the audience all of this sort of stuff people have had drinks it's a very different environment to doing it in a club setting or even in a show setting um, and you need to be like very aware of that when you're doing it so those would be my kind of my main pointers also you will always get one person in a house party type setting like this and it's always a white bloke who thinks that they're funny and they need to stick their oar in like it's the classic it's the, exactly the type of mentality that you get with a heckler it's trickier to slap this person down <laughs> yeah. because they're somebody's mate but at the same time it's like you do that you do that with a smile that that learning how to deal with that person and there's one at every gig is really really important so okay. yeah go with that nice yeah last question yeah 
Who, to you, is the most underrated person in the comedy industry? Most underrated person in the comedy industry? No, I'm just going to say, and this is going to be a controversial choice, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm just going to say PBH. Like, he's retired. As in Peter Buckley Hill? As in Peter Buckley Hill, okay. yeah. I mean, both, both as him as an individual and as an organisation. Because, like, without him, can you fucking imagine what the free fringe would uh, what, what the Edinburgh fringe would be like now? Like, it would be, it would go the way of all you know, the natural tendency of all uh, markets under capitalism is towards monopoly, uh, at minimum oligopoly. Performers charge through the nose. The free model has presented an alternative to that. You know, I, I would be the first to say that he is not the easiest person to get on with, but he has contributed so much. He has sweated so much into this. Like I've, I've read his book and it is very interesting. I perhaps do not share his historical interpretation of some of the events that are described within it, have been on the ground, blah, blah, blah. But like it is undeniable that he has contributed an enormous amount to comedy and the welfare of comedians and the amount of stick that he's got for that granted some of his behavior that is you know and the way he expresses himself is not not too touchy-feely it's he's given so much and hasn't got i think a fraction of the respect that he deserves for that people who do comedy at every level punters of comedy like it takes so much to organize this stuff and to organize it well and make things happen and that's that's what people ignore so like there are loads of great acts out there every single one of my quantum leopard competition winners is somebody that i would recommend and that as an act and i think they're all the most underrated acts in comedy because like they're gonna be winning the awards blah 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 they're the voice of tomorrow as selected by my audience they're all great they're all amazing they're going to be fantastic performers they are fantastic performers they're going to be like the proper stars of tomorrow but in terms of the back end of it pbh pbh cool and thank you very much for taking part no worries thanks for having me that was james oh my god i loved hearing about his diy attitude and mentality and also how he's not lost himself within the industry i think so many people can get so wrapped up i think it's just a freelance mentality really if you are freelance you have to work paycheck to paycheck you have to take a lot of work that you don't necessarily like doing and obviously because he has a day job he's able to really keep hold of his mouth keep a hold of his values keep a hold of his own ethics and run a comedy night that really encompasses that and it was great Uh, In addition to that, hearing his struggles with his work-life comedy balance and the pros and cons of running a night the way he decided to do it was really exciting. I think everyone who's ever run a comedy night or has even put on a one-off show knows that there are compromises that get made along the way and uh, you can't always have everything you where you want it. So I think for definite that is a lot of learning in there and a, and a big learning curve for everyone. I think if you're listening to this and you're in comedy or you're a comedy fan and you're uh, a bit annoyed with how a club treats you or, or how the running orders are put together or anything like that, put on a show. Just see what it's like from the other side. It's really, really interesting to, to switch sides and learn a bit more from someone else's perspective. And this really offered me a lot of that. So that was really good. Uh, if you like this episode, you might also like other episodes with Angel Comedy Club, where I interviewed Barry Ferns and Sarah Pierce about how they crowdfunded a comedy empire, really, uh, but starting with a club above a pub in uh, Angel, and now they own their own pub. So there's that, and also uh, you can listen to Monkey Barrel Comedy Club with Ben Verf and John Miller, and how they started a comedy club in Edinburgh, and how that has grown and continues to grow into what is one of the most pivotal and interesting comedy clubs in the country. I highly recommend both those episodes. I mean, I'm biased, 
but I highly recommend them both. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate your time. I'm currently bouncing around on tour. I'm on I'm on a preview tour of this new show called Every Room Becomes a Panic Room When You Overthink Enough. I'm taking it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival at Sweet Venues in the Grass Market. There's a link in the show notes if you want to get a ticket to that or any of the previews that I'm going to be doing up and down the country. So please, please, please come to that. I would really appreciate it. If you can't support me that way because I'm nowhere near you or because you just don't want to come, that's absolutely fine. If you're new here, hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. And either way, please do give us a donation to keep this going. You can do it either as a one-off via PayPal on my website, which is simonkane.co.uk, or you can do it as a patron from $1 an episode. Was this worth a dollar? I think it was worth a dollar. It must be worth $1 or 80p. Why not? Took me seven, eight hours to put together. It must be worth at least 80p of my time. That's pretty much child labor level payments, isn't it? If you thought this was worth anything, I would massively appreciate a donation and you keep the project going. So thank you very much for that, for the people that do. The RC Industry Podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.